Dryden came to Covenant in 2007. Um, we arrived the same year, and he's just become a fixture at Covenant. Um, a lot of you have had him in New Testament or taken his Greek courses and um, benefited from him. He's been a wonderful colleague to many as well here. So this morning he's going to preach the word to us, and we're just delighted to have him here. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Jeff Dryden. Good morning, everybody. Thank you both. All right. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm not sure why, but I only get invited here when there's musicals on. Uh, so I always have some huge set behind me. Um, I don't know what that means, but I'm not going to dance. All right. Uh, what we're going to look at today uh, for a little bit in our chapel time is uh, a bit from uh, the Gospel of John from John chapter 11, and I thought um, because we're in the season of Easter, celebrating Easter, we could uh, look at uh, that little bit from John that really foreshadows uh, the resurrection of Jesus, um, but that also draws us into the significance of Easter. And specifically, this passage uh, will teach us something about how we come to Jesus in our times of struggle, how we come to Jesus in our times of grief, in the light of Easter. Um, so this passage from John 11 comes uh, at the end of what uh, traditionally is referred to as the Book of Signs. This is really the first half of John's Gospel. So everything from the prologue to the end of this uh, section here in John 11 is considered the Book of Signs. And the, this is a passage about um, the death and raising of Lazarus as the sort of culminative sign. Uh, that Jesus gives, and those signs are there to establish uh, Jesus' identity, but also to talk about the various responses that people have uh, to Jesus, some who come to Jesus with faith and belief and some who reject, all right, which is a big theme that John introduces uh, at the beginning uh, of the gospel. And so here we'll see people that come to Jesus in faith and others who want to kill him at the end of this. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, near the end of John's gospel, he tells us the purpose of his gospel is uh, to foster faith, okay, uh, that you might believe and in believing have life, right? Um, and faith in John is always portrayed as something that is uh, partial, um, in movement, in progressing, fragmentary, right? Not completed, Okay. And Jesus never pushes anybody away because their faith isn't mature enough, right? Uh, and that's a big part of the process of what's going on in John's gospel, right? Uh, you also have a big theme in John's gospel is that faith is actually a sign of God's work, a sign of his new birth. So in today's passage in John 11, you have two sisters who come to Jesus, Mary and Martha, uh, in the shared personal tragedy of the death of their brother. And they'll each express faith in Jesus, but in slightly different ways, right? Uh, and those two different ways will reveal something about our own faith and our own ways that we come to Jesus, um, especially in the times of uh, grief and tragedy. But it also tells us something about uh, who Jesus is and how he 
takes our faith, how he understands and receives that faith. So the first verses there, uh, the first few verses uh, in John 11, hey, look at that, it's like magic, Um, set up the scene. Uh, Basically, all you have here is uh, it introduces a scene in Bethany. You have Lazarus, uh, who's really only talked about here in John's gospel, the brother of Mary and Martha, who we know from other places. Uh, And he's sick, really, really sick, right? And so uh, Martha and Mary send a message to Jesus and say, uh, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Okay, come to him. That's basically the message. Um, Then you have a slightly weird thing here in verse 4. It says this, but when Jesus heard, uh, heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Okay. Uh, you know, if you know the story at all, that's a really weird thing for Jesus to say because it does lead to death. What does he mean it doesn't lead to death? Lazarus is going to die. Okay. So what does he mean by that? Now, if you take into account also that it's the death but also the resurrection of Lazarus, and then somehow that reveals Jesus' glory, then you can sort of start to understand that. But here's the part that I don't think I really like, is it seems to say, well, if it's for the glory of Jesus, then the death and pain of suffering of Lazarus and everybody with him doesn't really matter. Okay, and I'm not enough of a Presbyterian to swallow that pill very easily. Um, I don't... Uh, it's a, John, I think, is starting to push us into a corner here, and he's going to continue to push. Um, verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Martha and Mary and Lazarus, okay? Uh, this is actually a really strange thing to say. At one level, it's perfectly natural for this, thing to, for this verse to say, Jesus loved these three people, okay? Well, yeah, he did. Um, another level it's kind of strange because you don't ever have the gospel writers almost never do you have anybody of the gospel writers saying this kind of thing okay Jesus loved these people Jesus demonstrates love for people in different ways but it's very rare you actually have statements like this okay why does John tell us why is he so concerned that we know for sure Jesus actually loved them right verse six so because Jesus loved them so when he heard that Lazarus was ill he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What? <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? Okay, and John wants us to hold those two things together and is pushing us into a corner. All right? Um, that somehow these things go together, even if it doesn't seem like it. It doesn't really make any sense that... Lazarus is seriously ill and he loves Lazarus and his sisters and yet sticks around and doesn't go anywhere all right and it brings all all kinds of questions that John actually wants us to ask at this point uh what are we going to do with this do we believe that Jesus really loves these people his actions don't look loving am I willing to trust a Jesus like this does he really love them is he playing games with them for the ultimate end of his own glory Is he doing that with me? John is placing us in a place where we have to think about our belief in this Jesus. What is he doing? And am I going to believe that he loves this brother and and two sisters and me, or does he just play games? The story continues with Jesus' decision uh, 
to go to Judea to see Lazarus and his sisters. Uh, and then you have this interaction uh, with his disciples. So verse 7, let us go to Judea again. The disciples say to him, Rabbi, the Jews were now just seeking to stone you, and you want to go there again? Then you have some kind of very weird cryptic saying of Jesus about the day and the night and blah, 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 blah. We'll skip all that. Um, uh, if I had another chapel talk, we could talk about that, but this is like way confusing. Um, so verse 11 says this. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Okay? Uh, for those of you who still don't think that there's humor in the Bible, you need to read verse 12. Uh, the disciples say to Jesus, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. <laughs> uh, you know, he'll probably get over it, Jesus. Um, you know, he doesn't really need your help to wake up. Um, so uh, now Jesus, of course, this is the disciples playing their usual role of being as dumb as a bag of hammers um, <laughs> at this point. <clears throat> So now, uh, it says verse 13, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant his literal sleeping. Then Jesus told them, Lazarus has died. Okay, wake up. For, our, uh, for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, right? So that I've told you this thing that happened before we got there so that you have some chance of believing, you eggheads. Okay, that's basically what he says. Uh, verse 16, so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Okay, and there's an ancient Greek text, uh, manuscript where Jesus says, no. That's actually not true, I made that up. Um, so, um, so. Now, uh, verse 17, we get uh, Jesus comes to the tomb. Jesus came, uh, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Uh, and he comes to Bethany near Jerusalem uh, and then you have uh, Martha and Mary will come out to meet Jesus, right? Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, as, is it is, as it is today in the Middle East, funerals like this are uh, large, long public affairs in the street. You don't have a private funeral uh, in some little thing, uh, some little place, but it's the whole neighborhood and surrounding towns come to grieve with you, okay? So there's all these people around. Uh, Martha goes out to meet Jesus on the road to Bethany and confronts him with this accusation. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, it's an accusation that's especially pointed for us because we know something that Martha doesn't know. When Jesus got the news, he waited. Right? <clears throat> he made the choice to wait. Martha wants to know why Jesus didn't come. Why didn't Jesus intervene? Why doesn't he for us? And then Martha makes another interesting statement. <clears throat> and look really carefully at what Martha's doing here. But even now, I know that whatever you ask, God will give you. What do you think she's asking for? Even now, you have the power. Martha's got, this is a real expression of faith, right? Uh, even now, I know God will give you whatever you ask. What, is, what could she be asking for other than that her brother be raised from the dead, right? Um, and then look at what Jesus says, okay? Jesus come back to, comes back to her and says, your brother will rise. And then Martha's response, 
look at what Martha does. Martha, she begins to kind of contain herself and her grief and her hopes uh, and fears in theological platitudes. Everything she says is theologically correct, right? Um, but she can't move into her grief and she can't move into her desire to have her brother back any further, even though Jesus has just led her there. She steps back from it. Uh, she asks for it kind of surreptitiously, and then when Jesus moves in that direction, she slams the door on it, says, I can't go there. But she does it with theological platitudes, basically. Not wrong, okay, she has faith. Uh, Jesus gently here tries to move her from her abstractions to trust in him. The resurrection, Jesus says, you know, I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection is not an idea, it's me, is what Jesus says. It's not just a historical phenomenon we look for. Um, it's me, the giver of life. The one who believes in him, <clears throat> though he die, shall live. And then he asks her, do you believe this? And her response again is telling. It's a yes, but also somehow a little bit stunted, right? Um, <clears throat> what does she say? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Exactly correct statement about who Jesus is. But she also isn't really ask, answering Jesus' question. Do you believe I'm the resurrection? So, again, her statement is theologically exact and true, but she doesn't really engage. She has faith, real faith, but she's also in a place of confusion and grief. And to contain that confusion, she hides in theological truths that are nonetheless true expressions of belief. She has a real faith, right? Uh, and notice that Jesus doesn't reject her. You know, sometimes mustard seed faith is really enough. Next, we come to Mary. So uh, Mary, Martha calls Mary, Mary comes out, and the whole troop of people come with her. Um, and Mary comes to Jesus, okay? Um, where are we at? Verse 32, Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And what's really interesting here is that she says exactly the same thing that Martha did. Exactly the same thing, but we take it in a very different way. It doesn't feel as much like an accusation of, I want an answer. But, she's, but it is the same question. Um, <clears throat> if you had been here, why weren't you here? He wouldn't be dead. So, um, she doesn't come with the same sort of inhibitions or reticence with Martha while dealing with the same grief and uncertainty as Martha. Mary has come to Jesus in a way that is much more trusting. Uh, and she's come in need. She comes uh, with her grief to him without suspicion. She knows that what she needs most is actually to be with Jesus in her grief. Martha didn't really make a bad choice, but Mary makes a much better one. She recognizes that more than answers, she needs the presence of Jesus in her loss. And that invitation into her grief melts the heart of Jesus here. In his compassion, Jesus is moved by the grief of Mary and her companions. And out of his sorrow and outrage, 
He's driven into action. What does he say? Where have you laid him? The crowd leads Jesus, weeping, to the tomb of Lazarus. Voices in the crowd repeat the question that hangs over this whole passage, right? Look how much he loved Lazarus. Couldn't he have kept him from dying? Why didn't he? If he loved him, why didn't he come? Jesus comes to the tomb, and even if we don't know the story at this point, which we do, uh, we can see what's about to happen, right? But Martha can't see or imagine it. She cautions Jesus not to open the tomb because of the smell of her brother's rotting body. Jesus' response, again, calls her to belief and reminds us of the revelation of glory that in some way outweighs death. Then Jesus, in the climactic sign of the book of signs, demonstrates that he is the resurrection and the life, the Son of God sent by the Father by raising his friend from the dead. He calls Lazarus to come out of the tomb as a foreshadowing of his own triumph over death and wrapped in burial clothes, Lazarus walks into the daylight to be reunited uh, with his sisters and with Jesus. Now, strangely enough, the story doesn't quite end there. Okay? Uh, what you have following is, again, this is a story of those who believe and those who reject. Some see what Jesus has done and rejoice and believe. And some go back to the Pharisees and say, this is what happened. And the Pharisees plot to kill him. Okay? Uh, and so you have at the end here, from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness. So Jesus has to live in the wild, in the wilderness, uh, because of the threats against him. So at the conclusion of the scene, we learn that uh, Jesus is biding his time. He's hiding in the wilderness. More than any other gospel writer, John wants us to understand the life of Jesus with tragic overtones, Right? Uh, in this narrative, we have Jesus' greatest miracle, and yet it produces in the leaders of Israel not faith, but preparations for murder and the, see and the seeds of uh, the betrayal of one of Jesus' closest friends. As John says in the prologue, he came to his own, and his own didn't receive him. Jesus endured hunger and suspicion and threats and betrayal and slander and ultimately torture, crucifixion, and death. It's a tragic story. Ultimately, more than a tragic story, but not less than a tragic story. Uh, Tolkien had the idea of what he called a catastrophe, uh, a catastrophic tragic event which brought about something truly great. Um, and that fits pretty well uh, for the gospel narratives. Right? Uh, and in John's gospel, this is a story of um, <clears throat> belief and new life and resurrection coming out of the midst of death and betrayal, uh, selfishness, uh, and sin. Uh, that God is the one who brings new life out of that mess. Uh, and it's this that we have to remember as we return to the question John gave us at the beginning of this passage. Are we going to trust this Jesus who let Lazarus die for his own glory? In the midst of that question, um, we wonder, and questions like that, we wonder where God is. Why doesn't he intervene in a way that seems loving? Oftentimes, we're encouraged to bottle these questions into neat theological platitudes, like Martha, like God is in control, which 
again, while theologically true, is often used by us as a way of holding down uh, our real anxiety in a way that's artificial um, and doesn't really deal with God in a straight way. In the end, we're still left waiting for Jesus to come and wondering if he's going to show up. On the other side of the story, we have seen the tears of Jesus and understand the hardships that plagued him on every side. In that context, it's a little easier to come to Jesus in the path of Mary, even if we're more naturally Martha's, right? Knowing Jesus' own frailty, suffering, and compassion, we're free to come to him in our need, in our times of loss and grief and anger. We may not find a satisfying answer to all of our questions. And worse, our brother will likely not be raised from the dead, at least not yet. But like Mary, we know that there's something more valuable than these other things, and that is the presence of Jesus with us in our hardship, and to know that he adds his tears to our own. It's not an answer to all of our questions but it gives us a place for our faith in the midst of the confusion and unknowing that comes to us in our struggles. Mary came to Jesus with the same question about her brother, but unlike Martha, she didn't make an answer to that question a condition of her faith. She was prepared to lean into the compassion of Jesus even before she got an answer. And that would have been enough even if her brother hadn't been raised from the dead. But the message of Lazarus' resurrection isn't that Jesus will give us a fix for all our problems and make our lives work, but that he is the resurrection and the life, that his waiting is hard to understand, but is somehow a sign of his love, that he will come to weep with us and to call us all out of the grave and into the daylight to have the grave clothes taken off and be reunited with him and our brothers and sisters. And we wait for that day. In the meantime, we're called to the faith of Mary. Let's pray. Lord, our Father, we give you thanks uh, for this beautiful day and we give you thanks um, that you are uh, Emmanuel, God, with us always and that we give you thanks that you are um, the God of all compassion and that you know us in our frailty and that you understand and love us and weep with us in our grief and we pray for uh, the faith to lean into you uh, in the time of unknowing in the time where we don't understand um, that we would find you there And we thank you that you uh, are there for us and that your presence is with us, Lord, uh, even this day. Amen. The Lord bless you all.